Jesus said it. We believe it. I am the light of the world. Can we put some context to that? Think about that truth. Have it reach home. You may be seated. I've been blessed, you know, as I think about it many ways, but a lot of my education and my faith development has been done in a Lutheran Christian context. I went to Lutheran grade school, made it all the way through. Went through college, made it through. Went to seminary, graduated. But there was one gap in there. Apart from Christian education, I got a public education in high school. And I appreciated that. It was good for me. I learned, I grew. And I remember some things from that. You know, you forget, but I remember in particular one thing. Senior year, there was a course I really enjoyed. It was called the History of Religions. By the way, I think that's a good course for any public school at any time. It was not an evangelization type of overview of various religions, but a descriptive one, and I think that can only help. The first semester, we studied Eastern religions, dabbled and understood one by one by one, at least many of the many types of religions exercised. And the second semester, it was the Bible. And we looked for part of that semester at the Old Testament, the Jewish faith, to understand what it was about. And the other part of the semester, we turned to the New Testament. And in a descriptive way, our teacher taught us what that was all about. And I remember Mrs. Crossman in this experience, and I remember her taking us through the New Testament, and one thing in particular I recall, and that is what she said about Jesus. She said, among other things, Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. That caught my attention. It stirred my mind and my heart, but as much as I wanted to answer that, to point to exactly what Jesus said in that regard, couldn't do it. I just couldn't try as I might. But I've got news, Mrs. Crossman, who, by the way, has come and gone from this life, that Jesus did say he is God. And that's what we're focusing on for seven weeks. Jesus saying exactly that, I am God, by saying, I am, seven times over. And to understand this, we've got to go back to the Old Testament and to a man named Moses, a man born among the Jews, put out into the river, rescued by an Egyptian woman, and brought up in that context and in that faith. But along the way, his life changed. And as he was minding his own business, out in the fields, keeping watch over Jethro's flock by day and by night, Jethro, his father-in-law, Moses watching the sheep, he had an experience. It was an experience with a burning bush not just any kind of bush, but a bush that burned but never burned up. 
And this was Moses' call into God's ministry. Because out of that bush came a voice, the very voice of God as he recognized it. And God put his hand, so to speak, on Moses and said, I've got a job for you. It's to go to your people, the Israelites, and set them free from the Egyptians, from their slavery of over 400 years. Let my people go. And like many leaders, almost all of them, Moses started looking for excuses and said, you know, I really can't do that. I mean, who am I? And he went excuse after excuse until he came to the point, some of those valid, maybe some not so much, but he ended up saying, well, who shall I say sent me? An important question. And the voice from the bush, God himself said, I am who I am has sent you. I am who I am. An identification of God that became one of the most holy names for him. So highly respected that the people after Moses would never say that name for God out loud. I am who I am. There is none other, God was saying. I'm the one. Other so-called gods, no. I am who I am. And it was Jesus with that in the background, with that in the knowledge of his people, seven times over said, I am. And he went on to use descriptive phrases with that again and again. Jesus was accused of blasphemy for using that phrase, I am. He identified himself with God as God, and that was intolerable, but a clear claim and identification. I am the light of the world. You know, and to understand that, we have to understand the world and its darkness. And the world is a dark place. We struggle with that. Many do, and even we Christians struggle because we see a lot of different things. We see some good, and sometimes even a lot of good. And that's encouraging. That's heartwarming. That's optimism validly coming to us. But we see darkness as well. We experience darkness as well. And while sometimes we want to minimize it, write it off, even ignore it, it is there. There's no denying, and I more and more come to the conclusion that this is a dark place. On the one hand, there are bad policies and bad people, small and great. And it's something that is on a surface level in some ways, but with inept and with misguided and power-hungry people, it's something more. People with vested interests that aren't always God-pleasing. Government and personal kinds of ways find themselves in a political arena. I mean, even personally. And it begins to distort truth and move toward a more egocentric type of living. 
with deception and deceit oftentimes. And errors are made. Judgments come down in a wrong kind of way. And those mistakes and misjudgments aren't just to be minimized as, well, little kinds of problems here and there. They come from darkness. Darkness within and darkness that surrounds us around in the world. And there's more. Values, always and today, are rapidly declining. I mean, you look, nothing seems wrong to some people. And even what is wrong is reinterpreted, redefined, relabeled as right, at least in the minds of some. The wrong becomes the opposite. Decency has gone down the drain care and respect, they continue to decline. And then there's the tyranny of the minority. They come up with a new thought and begin to foist it upon us others who hold different values, who hold different beliefs. And, and we are compelled either by persuasion of sorts or sometimes by law and policy to accept what we know not to be the case, like words that are reinvested with meaning. Yes, man and woman, what God has created, what is objective and what is different, one gender from another, we're told is not really what God has done and what we believe. It's an assault. Such a thing is on God himself. And we've got government that mandates things that we don't agree with by conscience. I mean, there's always something we don't agree with, but something by way of conscience that spreads shadows and darkness, even as it imposes penalties on us for doing, not doing what is wrong in God's Are upset our children are beset by things like transgender, taught it when they don't even understand what that means or fully understand what their own identity is. They're mixed up deliberately, oftentimes. Seeds are planted and mistakes and uh, problems arise in their mind before their minds are even fully developed. Darkness so often comes. And we as parents find ourselves increasingly out of positions, not only of authority, but of persuasion and the privilege of, of raising children, even according to God and his will. And it's been taken away and given to others, even teachers in some aspects, in some places have replaced us and refuse to tell us what they're teaching, what our children believe, taking them under their wing with no right given to us as to what that's all about. And more darkness. Even the definition of life itself has changed. I mean, we understood it for a long time. We connected to God. What has even been verified by science of late, what life is, 
it is now legal more and more in many places to abort that life, even up to the point of birth that opens the door to infanticide. The leading cause of death is exactly that, with over 62 million lives snuffed out. Obviously, not all for serious health reasons. So many so, because of egocentric considerations and living. And our money, it's being forced. It's being forced from us to support such things, to uh, help such things happen, not only through agencies, but also through government here and even across the world. Darkness, to be sure, and now we're even challenged and soon to be compelled to give money through our insurance to people who want to travel to do such a thing. In the midst of all of this, civil discourse has degenerated and continues so that it's not respect and conversation, but it's hatred and it's cutting off of different opinions. It's happening. Darkness. Not just frustration, but anger, profanity, retribution on the streets and even in the churches, even among us Christians and others. Violence. Violence at every turn, not only in the world where war takes place, and it's not just in the Ukraine, but among us, even in our communities, in meetings and on the streets. Even what it means to be a Christian, catch this, even what it means to be a Christian is being redefined, at least by many who claim the faith. Redefining it according to what they think, what they believe, what they want to do, rather than God and his revealed will in Jesus. People across the world are working in the shadows. Unknown to us, perhaps, and more and more, it's being known. You know, there was this thing that was once called a conspiracy theory called the Great Reset. But it's been acknowledged publicly and worldwide. Even our president has mentioned it as a goal to be pursued. Uh, a world government that change will change everything where we're steadily moving toward and all apart from God, which makes it darkness. Truth tellers can't be respected, sometimes not even heard, because they're harassed, stifled, and silenced, while other versions of reality take precedence. Like I said, there's much progress on the one hand that's positive, but there is these things otherwise, that from our point of view of faith, from God's point of view, are darkness. A darkness that has been around, a darkness that's growing and even prevailing. They, those things have grabbed hold and are increasing. And people are getting focused, refocused on other than God things. 
the world's in chaos. And that is not overstated. The world is in chaos, truly. Darkness, deception is what it, it is. And it is not a deception, it is darkness itself. We're called to live in that darkness, at least by some voices. And you realize, of course, that in the dark, humanly speaking, in the, the physical dark, our eyes adjust. We may be in the, the real and deep darkness, but after a while, our eyes adjust and we begin to see something. But it's not what really is there. Darkness does that. When we think we see, we don't really see. And so we, in the midst of that, can throw up our hands and say, well, 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 what can we do? We have to live with it. We have to walk away. We have to deny what's happening. At some level, we've got to live. And into all of this comes the light. The light that has shone into this darkness for a long, long time. The light of Jesus Christ, who says, he is the light. I am, he said, the light of the world. He's God. And as God, he says, in me is light. The truth, the way things are. You remember, when God created the world, the very first thing that he created was, let there be light. And while darkness soon after the fall began to envelop the earth, he sent Jesus to begin in a new way, in a powerful way, to lighten up the world and to show people the truth, his truth, to redeem and restore and bring people back. In John chapter 1, that whole vision of the creation is repeated and it's pointed to the very word, the very Son of God, where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's darkness, but listen, the darkness has not, will not overcome it. These are words of comfort and assurance to people like you and me who live in the light of Christ. These are words of confidence that we can have, that we do, a hope that is real, not imagined, a hope that is rooted in Jesus Christ, the very God himself. It is a moment of ultimate victory that we hold on to. An ultimate victory that you heard from the reading of Revelation. When like the very beginning, God created light and lit everything up, in heaven it will all be light again. The Lord, the Lamb, will be our light there. Because with Jesus, there is light. There is light here and now, as well as in eternity. St. John, first chapter of his gospel, says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And Jesus said it. He said, I've come to give you life, life in all of its fullness. 
I mean, we can struggle in the darkness and little other things that can be pointed to as good. But Jesus points to a life of light in all of its fullness that we can have right now, even as a down payment for the perfect, full light in eternity. That light of Christ here and now lights our way. It pierces the darkness and it shows us how we can live, how Jesus leads, how he guides, and how our life of following him in discipleship can be. And you know what's interesting about all this? It somewhat reflects, excuse the pun, of what Pastor Sean was talking about with the kids. Jesus also said, you and I are the light of the world. Do you know what he said to make this clear? In John chapter 9, he said, while I'm in the world, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But you know, Jesus left. The Paschal candle here, light, standing before us, reminds us of Jesus' physical presence on earth until he returned to heaven, his home. But he didn't leave us alone. He was the light, but he also said, you are the light. I am the light of the world. He said it in his sermon on the Mount. And Peter wrote it in his letter when he said, you have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The light of us Christians who are now together the body of Christ. Christ living in us, his light shining through us in our witness, in our life, in our love. Jesus in his physical presence is gone, but we are here as his light. And so Paul could write, as he did, speaking then and speaking now, live like children of light. Go where Jesus went. Follow where Jesus leads, because Jesus lives within us. Live in his love. It matters. It doesn't mean not to care. It doesn't mean to close our mouth, because Jesus lives within and will take care of everything. In fact, it means exactly the opposite, to let Jesus live in us and through us to recognize evil and darkness, reject it, to stand for truth and live it. What this is, this is spiritual warfare. This is more than what's just happening around us in people and in circumstances. These aren't practices that simply can be overturned by the political process or by people, legislation, or policy. Wishing and hoping, goodwill and government, not the answer to this darkness. As Christians, as the light in the world today, we're called to stand up and we're called to give witness. That doesn't mean to fight fire with fire. That's the darkness and its way. Not playing by the rules that are all around us, but by giving witness as Christ speaks into and through our lives as we follow. With the assurance, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, don't be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. That's how Christ shines within us. Let the Bible's description help us in this. Paul wrote it in Ephesians chapter 6 about this spiritual warfare. He said, for our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he goes on to tell us about putting on the armor of God to defend what God has given, and also a weapon, not like every other weapon, but the Word of God, which is our witness and our life. So we are called to recognize evil for what it is, to acknowledge it, to take it seriously, not to schluff it off, to take Jesus, the light of the world, seriously. And what he has made us as part of the body of Christ, the light in the world today, which means to pray, to pray often, and perhaps even more passionately, to act as God through Jesus moves in us day by day. Jesus' claim, I am, is a claim to be God himself. And so we listen. I am, he says, and he tells us what he can do when he says, I am the light of the world. Even as he tells us the very same thing in his physical absence. You know, these candles that are before us all the time, you, you realize what that symbolizes? The light the light of Christ, the light of Jesus in the world today. You also recognize that when those candles are put up, remember what our acolytes do? Before they put out the last candle, they relight their taper on the candle lighter so that as we leave, we see the light leaving as we follow to live as the light in the world today. We thank God for his light in Jesus and for the light he gives us to live here and now. Amen. May God who gives light keep us in that light. Amen. And we say what we believe, let's do. The Nicene Creed, we stand and speak together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, carry God, carry God, begotten not me, even of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And sent him heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end.
Let's take a few moments to do a few things. Our contact card helps us remember that you are here and gives you opportunity to express yourself with a prayer request or other information or requests for us to answer. It's a time also to remember our offerings and to hear an offering of music given on our behalf even as we enjoy that. Personal prayer shortly followed by corporate prayer. You may be seated, please. <clears throat> 